completely and faithfully in this place in a way that brings glory and honor to Jesus. For we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and a homer and a lechek of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. They're swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend, let none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day, the prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sin against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity, and it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat, but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply, because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding." My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the tops of the mountains, and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth, because their shade is good. Therefore your daughters play the whore, and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery, for the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes, and a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor up to beth and swear not as the Lord lives. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols, leave him alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, it's really easy when you're reading these texts uh, from the Old Testament prophets to pick out the negative message which so strongly dominates, but actually... In all of the prophets, the Lord is pointing us in a particular direction. And even us, as the body of Christ, uh, the Lord points us uh, in, in different directions, uh, in a more positive direction, and points us to himself. And we'll see that in this text here. 
But, you know, one of the things that's very popular for us uh, today as Christians is to criticize. You know, a lot of times we, we criticize the government, we criticize public institutions, we criticize our leaders. Uh, you see that here in the UK, you see that in the United Kingdom. And, uh, and when we're not criticizing the government or criticizing somebody outside the church, we, it's very easy for us to start criticizing other churches, other ministries. You know, I've been in, in gatherings of pastors where, you know, they, they talk uh, disparagingly about other churches, uh, either a church that's more liberal or a church that seems to be more successful or a larger church or a smaller church. It, it, it becomes very fashionable for us to pick on others and criticize others and bring others down. And yet, often what we're criticizing in others are the way they look or their success or particular points of their theology, uh, uh, different kinds of issues. And normally we criticize others based on our own our perception of ourselves, that we have the truth, that we're doing things the right way, and that other people are doing things the wrong way. But when we look at the prophet, and we look at what Hosea is saying, and throughout history, uh, Christian leaders have seen Hosea speaking not only to the people of Israel in his day, but also to the church at various times throughout history, calling the church to a renewed sense of faithfulness to God. And that's what Hosea's focus is on, and you can tell that by the way he focuses so much on unfaithfulness. And at the end of the day, when the Lord looks at his people, and when the Lord looks at even a nation, he tends to evaluate his criticism, or make his criticism, or his judgment, based on three primary standards that Hosea picks out here in chapter 4. Hosea the prophet says in 4 verse 1, There is no faithfulness, or steadfast love, or knowledge of God in the land. When God looks at a nation, when God looks at a church, when God looks at us in our groups, he tends to look at us and say, is there faithfulness? Is there steadfast love? Is there a knowledge of God? And the focus in on this passage here is really in on the knowledge of God. But faithfulness has to do with people remaining true to God, continuing in their relationship with God, continuing in their relationships with other people in a way that is honorable and in a way that perseveres through difficult times as well as easy times and good times. And so often people abandon the church or they abandon their fellowship or they abandon their marriage when things get a little difficult and it shows, it demonstrates a lack of faithfulness. The whole idea of steadfast love is actually covenantal faithfulness. In other words, you make a covenant and you persevere in that covenant, honoring and respecting the other person in the covenant. Now, so often we make marriage, for example, to be about love. And, and most of the time we're talking about romantic love. But the, the biblical idea of love, particularly the Old Testament idea of love, is a faithfulness to the covenant that we have made with other people. So remaining faithful in your marriage is a demonstration of your love, even if, and especially if, your marriage is difficult. And God looks at a land and says, is there covenant faithfulness? 
And certainly when we look at our land, we see that there is a lack of covenant faithfulness, a lack of steadfast love, and a lack of faithfulness in general. But God's most damning criticism of his people and even of a land is there in the third thing, no knowledge of God. And when there is no knowledge of God in the land and no knowledge of God in the, in the church, in God's people, there will be swearing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery, breaking all bonds, a lawlessness, a bloodshed. And by bloodshed here, we can look not only in terms of uh, actual physical bloodshed, but also this critical judgmentalism that will often come out. And the whole land will start to mourn. And certainly even a casual glance around us will show us that these things are present in our land, in our world, in our city, and dare I say, even in our churches to a large extent. And the antidote here, according to Hosea, is this idea, knowledge of God. He goes on a little bit later And God says through Hosea, my people are destroyed for what? A lack of knowledge. They're not destroyed for a lack of spiritual gifts. They're not destroyed for a lack of preaching the gospel. They're not destroyed uh, for a lack of tithing. They're destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And God goes on to say through Hosea, there is no understanding. And this idea of understanding is intimately connected with this concept of knowledge. There is no knowledge of God in the land. And so God's people and even the land are destroyed for the lack of knowledge and the land mourns. But this creates a problem for us in our world today. Because even if you've watched a few of the documentaries that's been on BBC4, for example, in the last couple of years, you'll understand very quickly that we are living in the age of what people call big data or big data, depending on, you know, where you're from and, you know, north, south, the other side of the Atlantic, this side of the Atlantic. So big data, big data, same thing. You say potato, I say potato. You say tomato, I say tomato. You know, that kind of thing. Okay, so I wonder if I have to pay a royalty because that's recorded in people. Well, anyway, let's, let's take it. So we're living in a time of big, big data or big data. And, and so we look at that and we think, we tend to think that, okay, all data is knowledge, but it's impossible for us to know everything. Only God knows everything. Only God has a grasp of all the data that's available in the world. Only God knows it. Only God understands it. Only God connects it. But data is not knowledge. It's something else. The next step up from data is what we will call information. And information is bits of data or segments of data that stick out for us so that we see it and and we grab a hold of it. So if you go to pub quiz night and and you're asked all these questions and you write down, you know, the little bit, you know, who, who was the team captain in the 1966 uh, World Cup winning uh, England team, and you know, write that down, and uh, you know, who wrote the book uh, uh, The Leaves of Grass, or whatever, you know, that, that's information that you have. And information is bits of data that stick out to you, that you have some degree of grasp on. But that is still not knowledge. 
Now, the problem is, for many people in the world, they think that data or information is knowledge. And we tend to think that we have knowledge when we have information. So, for example, I know my wife's birth date. Uh, I know where she was raised. I know where her, her home growing up was. Uh, I know where she went to university. I know what her degree was in university. Uh, I know her address right now. Uh, I don't have, uh, uh, I know her uh, U.S. Social Security number. I have that memorized, but I don't have her national insurance number memorized. I have all of this information about my wife, but if I gave you all of this information, you would say, yeah, I've got this information, but I don't know her. I don't know her. Because knowledge, biblically, is not about data and it's not about information. It's actually about knowing someone. And the most intimate form of knowledge is the knowledge that comes between a man and a woman who are married. Who have that connection. We read that in Genesis. You know, Adam knew Eve. And that was fun for us when we were kids because we would giggle at that. We kind of, yeah, Adam knew Eve. <laughs> yeah. But what is it? It meant that Adam had so much data, so much information that he was able to put it all together so that he had an understanding of who Eve actually was. And when you read about knowledge of God, it is not about knowing the data that's in the Bible and in the universe. It's not about having the information at your hands that God is all-knowing, that God is all-powerful, that God is all-present, that God is unchanging, and even having the big words of that omniscient, omnipotent, uh, omnipresent, immutable, you know, having all of that information. It's not about that. It's about all of that coming together in truth so that you can say that I know this person who is God intimately. I understand who He is. I understand how He feels. I understand how He thinks. I understand who He has revealed Himself to be. I have all of these things that are coming together and coalescing together in my mind, in my spirit, so that I can say that just as I know my wife or I know my best friend, I know God. And unless you have this kind of knowing of God, you do not have knowledge of God. Even though you might know His name is Yahweh, even though you might know that uh, in some Sometimes that's uh, 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 transliterated as Jehovah, even though you might know that there's a Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, even though you might have a full grasp of what it means to say God is a Trinity, unless you have all of that coming together so that you can say that, yes, I know God just like I know my friend, just like I know my wife, I know God as best I can. You have no knowledge of God. And that is why God's people are destroyed. That is why the land mourns. And right now, if you look at even at the body of Christ here in the United Kingdom, I'm going to many different churches, I'm encountering many different people who have tons of data about God, and some of that has been turned into, knowledge, uh, into information, 
But fewer and fewer people have a genuine knowledge of who God is. They have a genuine, even have, have, lack a genuine knowledge of the Bible. There are a lot of people who know different passages of the Bible. They have different things memorized, but they don't know how it all fits together. They don't know the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. They don't understand what God has done. They don't understand the flow of God's holy history, how he has interacted with people from the time of Adam all the way through until the end uh, of this creation and the creation of a new world. They don't even understand that God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth one day, that he's promised to do that. And we don't have that understanding. We don't have that knowledge. And consequently, we are destroyed for it. And consequently, our land mourns. And we like to think that the hope for our churches is more Bible study. And that's great. I believe in Bible study. We like to think that the hope might be more prayer or more worship. And those things are great. I believe in those things as well. We might like to think that really the hope for our nation is evangelizing, getting out there and sharing Jesus. But the problem is, for many, we only have information about Jesus to share. We don't really know the man. And this is one of the things that sets Christianity apart from all the other religions of the world. In Islam, you wouldn't even dare to know God. Certainly in Hinduism, you couldn't possibly know the 30-odd million gods that they have. In Buddhism, there's no real God to know. It's an impersonal force. But God has revealed himself to us in Jesus so that we can know him. So that we can understand who he is, we can know how he feels, we can know what he thinks about different things, we can have a relationship with him. And in fact, that's why Jesus died. And only through Jesus can we have a relationship with God, only by faith in what he did for us on the cross and his death, and his resurrection, can we really know who God is? And it's only a people who can genuinely say, I know God, I understand God, and who know, have the confidence that their knowledge, their understanding is of the real God as he's revealed himself in the Bible. It's only that people that will have power in sharing Jesus. It's only that people that will see the land changed. It's only that people that will see God's kingdom come and his will done on earth as it is in heaven. But here's the good news. God promises there at the end of chapter 3, afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and that's pointing to Jesus by the way, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Friends, we're in the latter days. We're in the day where we can know God and we can have confidence that we know God because we know Jesus and because the Spirit of God lives inside of us. We can embrace that knowledge, not as data, not as information, but as a real knowing and do so with confidence with one another that God wants to reveal his goodness to us and will reveal his goodness to us as we come to him seeking to know him as he really is. Father God, thank you so much.
for revealing yourself to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit who can take all the data of the Bible and all the bits of knowledge that we might have and allow them to coalesce together so that we could have a genuine knowing of who you are. We love you and we praise you and we worship you. And I pray, Father God, that we would come to a place and come to it soon in the power of your Holy Spirit where you will look at the body of Christ in this nation and say there is faithfulness, there is steadfast love, and there is knowledge of God. And so I will pour out my spirit and expand my kingdom and lead many more to Jesus. Lord, we long for that declaration over us. We long to live in faithfulness. We long to live in steadfast love. We long to live knowing you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Enable us to do so. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.